0: Last week we talked about how Peter and John had been recognized by these uh, elite religious figures, these uh, chief priests, as having been untrained and uneducated, but as having been with Jesus and how that is such an important marker in a follower of Christ. That beyond our knowledge and our training, it comes to, do people recognize me as having been with Christ? Do they realize that He is a part and in an intimate uh, place in, in my life as a, as a Christian? And that really was last week. And on the heels of that, we, we pick up the reading in verse 14. It says this, And seeing the man who had been healed standing and standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. And so, yeah, this, this guy, he was healed. And so, you know, they put Peter and John on trial. They're kind of speechless now because this guy has really been healed. Verse 15, But when they had ordered them to go aside out of the council, they began to confer with one another. This is, of course, the chief priests saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them, warning Peter and John, uh, to, to speak no more to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered, and they said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which they might punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. And for the man was more than 40 years old, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord... Uh, You who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them by uh, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David your servant said Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you uh, uh, anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, to take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants, that's they themselves, may speak your word with all confidence while you extended, extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place uh, through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, uh, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Amen. This is my main idea for today. The gospel spreads powerfully through those who genuinely testify of Jesus. And I, of course, highlighted the word genuinely. And in that highlighted uh, word, uh, I mean a person that has personally, has authentically, has intimately encountered Jesus. And through that testimony, there seems to be a power that emanates. A spreading of influence that goes from such individuals. Now, genuine. I highlight this because can't we all sniff out a, a fake, right? You've all gone to, to places to buy something and there are good salesmen and bad salesmen. And you can kind of sniff out the ones that are kind of like just speaking out of their butt, you know what I mean? They're, they really have no clue what the, what the product is about and they're just trying to sell you something and they, they'll tell you anything so that you buy it. And you can kind of sniff that out. Now, I worked in retail when I was in Bible school. I worked in a men's retail, it's called Tip Top Tailors in Vancouver, Canada. And uh, I worked there for a considerable amount. You know, I started, of course, as sales. I worked my way up to like a key holder and uh, it was enjoyable. Uh, It was my first kind of retail experience at the time. And when I was there, we sold everything from like men's T-shirts and polos to full-on suits. And uh, Tip Top Tailors, they provided an employee discount at 50% and that was quite a a hefty amount and I liked the clothes that we we sold. And I came to realize that uh, employers or companies, especially in clothing or different kind of customer service, retail oriented environments, that there are a variety of benefits for giving your employees discounts. Number one, it's an employment perk, right? It's like it's an incentive to stay employed there. It's because you get a discount on the stuff that you might want to buy. And I thought a couple of other real things there was number two is you get a live model. You know, it's like the, the person selling you this stuff is actually wearing the thing that's hanging on, a, on the rack there. And so you get a, a live model. And I thought that was also a very uh, beneficial thing for, from a company standpoint. But when you peel that second one down a little bit more, you begin to get a person that begins to know intimately the product and can sell it from that particular place. Now when I, I mean I took advantage of, the, of uh, the 50% discount and I purchased a lot of the suits that we sold and when new uh, fashions would come out every single year I would get that particular suit, the ones that I liked. And uh, you know as people would walk into the store I developed Somewhat of a clientele in terms of, you know, people would search me out if they were buying again for themselves or their family members or they were referring a friend. And that's the great thing about a sales environment. You're not trying to just tackle everyone that comes to the door. You're trying to give great customer service so that people look for you rather than you having to search them out. And so if you've worked in a sales environment, that, of course, is beneficial. And what I found myself doing and what I found was very effective in sales was when I understood a garment and was able to sell it by really being intimately acquainted with it, there was a trust factor that was engaged. Because this person automatically understood me as being genuine about the product and then not trying to just upsell everything and tack on everything, but really sell what they needed and that I knew what I was talking about. Because the average consumer can sniff out a fake. And so the person, not in a sense you're selling Jesus, but when we are speaking of Jesus, when you speak to a family member and you say, you know what, Uh, you you should really love, you should really be patient, I mean, uh, that will somehow come through in not just our delivery, but the type of person that we are. And so when I'm trying to share of Jesus and spread the message of love and of the gospel to the people that are around me, they will be able to determine if there is a genuineness in my testimony. And so for those who do have a genuine testimony, those who have really encountered Christ, have made Him a part of their lives. That person, when they speak of Jesus, there is something that is effective about that. If a person can sell me a t-shirt because of genuineness, how much more important is it if I'm speaking of Jesus, where life and death, heaven and hell is at stake, that I be genuine in my testimony, in my delivery, in my sharing? And so this message is about God working in me first. Yes, we all have a mission, a mandate. The Bible says that we are called to go to the nations to to preach the gospel, that we are to be witnesses of Christ. But before I can be a witness of Christ and share that message effectively with others, there needs to be something that has happened on the inside of me. That God must work in me first before He can work through me. And so I'll share a couple of things. First is this. Fearing and obeying God is the genesis of everything good and worthy in the Christian life. Fearing and obeying God is the beginning of anything good you can experience or have as a follower of Jesus. God does not bless everything. What do I mean? God blesses some things, He'll bless obedience, but God chooses not to bless other things. And I'll say it the other way, disobedience. And so, when I fall in the category of obedience, that is a place in which God chooses to bless. But when I fall in the place of disobedience, that is a place that He chooses not to bless. You can write this down on your sermon cards as a reference. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. This is what it says. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth. The eyes of God are scanning the entire earth, and this is what it says: that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. 2 Chronicles 69. That God is looking over the earth. And He wants to strongly support. He wants to to really get behind you. He wants to, to fund you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to empower you. He wants to strongly support those whose heart is completely His. And so as a Christian... That the beginning place of fearing and obeying God, just having that as a fundamental truth and foundation for everything that I want in my life, my business practices, the way that I lead in my family, the way that I am with my friends, that every sphere that I ought not separated as spiritual and unspiritual, that these are spiritual things for God and these are unspiritual things like my work. That God does not compartmentalize our lives like that. That we are spiritual beings and everything we touch is in the realm of spirit. And so when I choose to, as a first foundational thing, say I will fear and obey the Lord in all things. That that is the beginning of everything good that I can experience in every sphere and facet of life whether it be in my Christian faith, whether it be in my employment, whether it be in my family, that that must be a first and fundamental block. The answer to the question, will I fear God or will I fear man? That will really align your life one way or the other. And it will just fall in line either that way or this way. And what we see in our passage here is Peter and John going about on this day healed this guy didn't give him money and said I I raised him up and in the name of Jesus walk and this man is leaping for joy causes this disruption that day in the temple 5,000 people are saved and all of the bigwigs come the next day and say what's going on here who caused this ruckus and Peter and John are in the middle of this they've been jailed and they're now they're questioned and now they're threatened speak no more in this name And in the presence of 5,000 newly converted witnesses, the chief priests and all of the elders of their day, they stand and they say, you tell me what's right. For me to obey you or to obey God. That this was firmly set, And everything kind of emanated in their lives from this. That... This decision I make wasn't necessarily because, oh, that's the right thing to do in this time. It's no wait, The base, that fundamental block in their heart was, I will fear and obey the Lord above all else. And then it did not matter who or what presented itself to them. Their response was always in alignment with that truth. Have you ever tried to... to to give the right answer and always be prepared for every question that you would be given, maybe in an interview or in a particular setting. You're going to a new place and if they ask me this question, I'm going to answer it this way. If they ask me that, I'm going to answer it that way. That we cannot feasibly be wise enough to prepare an answer for every conceivable question. But if you will at least say this, that I will fear and obey God above everything else, And that you say that to yourself, that this will be my guiding light. You'll go into the workplace and your employer will give you a pitch. You will be with your companions or your family and something will happen. A sporadic thing, a spontaneous thing. And you will have a response to that. But if your response flows from this, I can almost guarantee you that you'll respond in the right way. But if you're trying to, oh wait, my I need to please my boss, and uh, you know uh, that this is the most important thing. Or when I'm there, that that is the most important thing. And I vacillate here and there. That I'm like a person without an anchor. I'm being tossed by the winds and the waves. I have no strong anchoring place. But that's what this provides: fear and obey God above all else. And it does not matter what presents itself; that I will have an appropriate response. And this is the first place that God needs to work. The Bible says in Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right, The first notch of wisdom. That if you want to live a wise life, make good choices, fear the Lord first. Because as soon as you have that set, everything else is going to align to it. If you think about it, to be a first century Christian... I felt like you just read through the book of Acts. You're like in a pressure cooker. It's like so much pressure around you. You were outnumbered, right? You, You were outspoken many of the times by all of the people around you. There was always a threat for your life. There was always something going on. You always had to be ready to give an answer for your faith. And there was this constant pressure to be a first century Christian. And what was firm in their hearts was this. Jesus said some pretty amazing things in His ministry. He said things like, enter by the narrow gate. He said things like, he who loves father or mother or son or daughter more than me, hey, you're you're not worthy of me. He said, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That we are to love God with all our hearts, soul, and mind. That in these statements, what he's saying is, I want your fundamental allegiance and obedience in life to fall correctly in the right place, and then everything else in discipleship will follow properly. That in the environment of first century Christianity, you needed to have a decisive, deliberate faith. What was the result of this deliberate faith that they had? Just in our reading of the book of Acts, what happened? They were willing to sell their possessions and share with fellow believers. I mean, it's because that that fundamental obedience and fear of God above all else, above material possessions, was there. They were able to, to, to spread powerful evangelistic messages where thousands of people were being saved at a time. Profound healings, standing up to the most powerful people of the day, that all of these were a result of their decisive faith. And so fearing and obeying God is the beginning, the genesis of everything good and worthy in the Christian life. And then secondly, speaking gospel-saturated words starts with seeing and hearing Jesus. Now, There is this understanding, I believe, in most Christians that we ought to share the gospel. That the Bible is clear when it calls us witnesses that we are to testify of Jesus. But when push comes to shove, this is a little more awkward and difficult than we would give it credit for. That whether you have a great opportunity with a colleague or a friend or a family member, it's most of the times very, very difficult to be able to to get it past that little lump in our throat and actually share Jesus and lead a person to Christ. That fear of rejection, of not knowing the right answers, of all of the different fears that we have in sharing the gospel, those all come up and it's quite difficult. And so to be able to speak words that are saturated with love and gospel and Jesus, this begins by first seeing and hearing Jesus. And that's exactly what Peter and John were, these guys were threatening, hey, you know, you're, you're causing this disruption, speak no more in this name. And they threatened them. And they're like, wait a minute, we cannot stop speaking of what we have seen and heard. We don't live in first century Christianity. We live in the 21st century Christianity. North American world. And for us to have been able to see and hear Jesus, it wasn't in a a physical form as Peter and John. Maybe if we were in the shoes of Peter and John, we would have the same type of boldness. But we are removed many centuries from that. And so how does a person here today see and hear Jesus? This is an important question. Because if we want to have boldness in our speaking and be able to share of the gospel to others when the opportunity presents itself, we need to see and hear. And so how are we to see and hear if we are so far removed, time-wise, geography-wise, from when Jesus lived and where He lived? This is where we get to the Word, the Bible. The Bible is how we see and hear Jesus. That if we are to know anything about Jesus, what He did, that we must be a person who's in the Word. That apart from Scripture, apart from the Bible, I cannot know an accurate picture of who Jesus is and what He did. And so if I want to testify of Jesus, that the Bible needs to be a place and a platform of my life, That if we are to know the real Jesus as opposed to a self-made Jesus, we need to know the Jesus of the Bible. I've been, especially as we start the new year, I've been thinking about different kind of ways that we as a church can engage ourselves in devotional materials. And I've been doing some research and I've just been kind of looking and thinking and contemplating a lot. And I've been doing a lot of reflection even on my own aspect of devotion. And I was kind of projecting into the next like 5, 10, 20 years of the the church, especially here in America. And then some like real concerns started to pop up in my heart. And I was thinking to myself, wait a minute, like I look forward 10 years to the American church. And I said to myself, I think we're going to become more and more Bible illiterate. Like, like, surveys and studies have shown very, very emphatically that Bible reading has been declining year after year. And it's just been this trend that's going downward, right? I mean, to tell you the truth, I mean, I won't make you do it now. Like, how many of you actually brought a Bible to church today, right? And like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I poked you, yeah, okay, fine, right? You, you use your phone. There's nothing wrong with using a phone for, for Scripture. When you read it, when you come to church, but what, I'm, what I mean is that the Bible, whether in digital form or print form, is a part of my life. I tried to do a little bit of research, right, this past week, and I printed out a few articles that were written, whether it be through the Barna Group, Christianity Today, and I'll read a couple of the, the titles from Christianity Today, an article posted, 80% of cho- churchgoers don't read b- the Bible daily, uh, says a Lifeway survey. Americans love the Bible, but don't read it much, was the title for that one, right? And this one by the Barner Group showed some statistics. The Bible, of course, being the most sold uh, book in history, five billion copies being sold, right? And just talking how the statistics and the trends are just going. And from the elder elderly people who are still kind of reading the Bible regularly, but going down to the young adults or the millennials saying that, yeah, it's just decreasing. And, and Bible reading is on uh, a tailspin and it's it's not happening. And another Christianity Today article, The Epidemic of Bible illiteracy in Our Churches, that was the title. And uh, this person or this article mentioned uh, a U.K. survey uh, And basically, uh, they were asking whether it be kids or adults. And a part of the survey, you know, they were saying that one in three children. Uh, did not recognize the nativity of Jesus, that scene, as being a Bible story. One in three children, like a third of the children, if you would say, is this a part of the Bible? And they would give a bunch of options. They would not choose the nativity as being a part of the Bible. And it's just showing that people are not in the Word. That is that really possible? You know, And it's not just the kids. It was also mentioned in this survey, the parents. 30% of British parents don't know Adam and Eve, David and Goliath, and the Good Samaritan, that those stories are part of the Bible. Right? That 27% think Superman might be a biblical story. One in three believes the same about Harry Potter. 54% believe the same about the Hunger Games, that it might be a Bible story. Now, this is just an interesting thing, right? It's just showing us that we have become a generation of people that love the Bible, that still consider it a spiritual book, but will not really spend time in it. And I was just kind of serving, uh, you know, we like verses, and we we like cute verses to put on our social media too, like on a picture, right? Like picto-verses. But we have become a generation of people that have relied more and more upon excerpts of Scripture rather than moving through Scripture. And the reason why I say that was because I was researching devotional materials and I was just kind of thinking about myself and our church and every devotional material that I found on average was not more than seven days long and it was either based off of one verse or one small passage and it had about three or four paragraphs of commentary about that verse or passage. And what's happening is that we're reading the same famous excerpts, verses, passages and reading the commentary about what people see about it or say about it and it's just strung together by no more than a week. And the culprit, a lot of people say, it's the generation, it's our tech generation, right? Right? Even companies, non-spiritual things, like just like companies, when they do training for their employees, I just read an article on USA Today about this. That companies now are no longer doing long training sessions for their employees, like hour-long things. They're doing it in four-minute video things that are posted or shared on like Periscope through the you know, like the Twitter the the video thing. They're trying to do shorter things because they're just not being able to maintain the attention span of their employees during training. And these four minute videos are having a better impact than these hour long things. And it's just a byproduct, they're saying, of what's happening in our generation. Now I understand, and I'm not trying to paint that in in a completely negative way. There are great benefits to what our generation has access to. But what we have to understand are, what are the trade-offs? That if I gain this and I begin to use this as my Bible and my only Bible, is there a trade-off? The benefit is I have my Bible in my pocket every single hour of the day. I take my Bible with me. I can search in my Bible app, a search function, if I can't remember the reference, I just put a keyword and it'll list to me all of the verses with that keyword. This, I believe, is a great advantage. That I have access to definitions and tools through technology that an average person just holding a Bible does not have access to. And that is a great advantage. I really believe that. But with the advantage of accessibility and consistency in carrying the Bible, am I trading off anything? Am I trading off intimacy in the Word? Am I trading off context? Am I only reading a screen, a, snap, a snapshot, and am, am I failing to see the books of the Bible? Do I fail to understand where the place in Scripture, chronology of Scripture, because this, in the tactile feel of the paper Bible, it comes front and center. And so I want us to engage with that, to understand that yes, there are benefits, but what are the trade-offs? And the end result is not about going paper or digital. The end result is being a person that knows Jesus by being in the Word. This is my main point here. My main point is that we be people that know Jesus. That we be people that see and hear Him. Why? Because the byproduct, the result of seeing and hearing Jesus authentically is Peter and John in our scripture, right? That we will stand in front of anybody and be able to say, I cannot stop speaking of what I've seen and heard. And that is a powerful place to be as a Christian. But in order to encounter Jesus, I need to be able to engage with this. Not in passages or excerpts or verses. But I need to be able to engage with the Word made flesh. As John would say in his first Gospel. And that is my admonishment to you. To get into the Scriptures where the average 80% of the average churchgoer today will not read the scriptures on a daily basis. That's one in, one in five will. Four in five won't. And this is not meant to give you a guilt trip, but to poke you and to prod you. To say, if, you, if, if you're serious about wanting to know Jesus, you have to be serious about getting into this. And if this isn't cutting it for you, if that little screen, if this even is not cutting it for you, like you can't get into it, like it's not there and it's just so scattered, I want to encourage you to go back to a paper form. You don't have to carry it everywhere you go, but get used to it That when you're home. I mean, we are creatures of habit. We gravitate to our same t-shirts and our same routes, Right? If you get used to picking up the Bible regularly and it becomes more normal and you become accustomed to it, there is something familiar about it. And that's what we want with Scripture. We want Scripture to be familiar with us so that we can be able to speak it and share it as if it was our own. And that's what I wish for myself. That's what I wish for our church, for you. That we would be people that see and hear Jesus. And that we would be people that see and hear Jesus through the Word. And so I ask you to do a little bit of self-examining, questioning. And ask yourself, what place does the Bible have in my heart? Do statistics bear out true in my life? Would I fall in that category as believing that the Bible is a good book and spiritual and you, you put it on a pedestal but never really crack it open and read it? I want to encourage you this year that if it's not a prominent place in your life to make it so because the results of it are phenomenal and powerful. Let me begin to close off. Let me mention also here a prayer that these guys, that these early disciples prayed because, again, I was reading this prayer. If you look in Acts chapter 4, right? Let's say from verse um, 29. Uh, now, Lord, take note of your of their threats and grant your, your servants that they may speak your word with confidence and uh, you know, that you would extend your hand to heal and that signs and wonders would take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And I was just kind of thinking about that prayer for a second. And I said... Like, we should pray prayers like this. <laughs> Not the blessing rescue prayers that are so common in our life. Like, like uh, we bless this food, bless my job, you know, or rescue me from this place or heal me from that. And a, a lot of the common prayers that we offer are blessing and rescue oriented. But this one here is about the very, very different. It's like, give us boldness to speak your word and God extend your hand that you would heal and show signs and wonders. And basically they're asking for the glory of God to be revealed through the things that they do. What a powerful place to be at. And so I close with these final two statements. Praise to Him you come back. First is this encounter Jesus in the Word. I just want to repeat that and get that front and center in your heart and in your mind today. Encounter Jesus in the Word. It must be there. Yes, you'll encounter Him in your prayer life. You'll encounter Him in your worship. And these are all important. But we can be misguided and misled if we don't first encounter Him in the Word. This is what guides us, what leads us, what sets us on that narrow path, what leads us in the right direction, what allows our worship to be powerful, what allows our prayers to be accurate when we encounter Jesus in the Word. Encounter Him there. That we must encounter Jesus to see and to hear Him there. And then secondly, fear and obey God because that will be the most worthy and impactful decision of your life. It will set you on that path and it will give you a reasonable and godly response to any predicament you will find yourself in if you will say to yourself, I will fear and obey God Above all else. May that be your declaration this year. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.